Hi, I'm Shane Robertson, Senior Pastor at Maysville Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us today. Our desire is to build the kingdom of God. We do this by loving God, loving others, studying the Bible, and serving the world. Now, get ready. Here's this week's message from the Word of God. I hope you have your Bibles this morning. I'd love for you to join me in 1 Corinthians chapter number 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And while you're finding your place, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Abe, did you hear about the three pastors who went fishing? These three pastors, they went fishing, and they all got in one boat, and they got out there, and they were on the lake, and they were dropping their lines, and they were fishing. And finally, one of the pastors turned to the other two and said, Guys, we ain't got nobody. It's just us. So don't quite, quite completely understand, but nobody really wants to be our friends. We can't really share our thoughts with anybody, especially our struggles. He says, So men, what I'm asking you to do today is let's let our hair down, so to speak, and Let's confess one another's sin and commit to pray for each other. He said, I'll go first. He said, I hate to admit this, guys. He said, but I struggle with gambling. He said, it's not unusual for me to sneak out of my house at night and I go out and squander all my money. I'm ashamed of that. They said, we'll pray for you. We'll pray for you. Second pastor spoke up and said, well, if we're going to confess, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you right now. He says, I've got a problem with cheating. I'm ashamed of it. I'm a cheat. He said, I've lied on my taxes so many years. As a matter of fact, I ain't never paid my taxes. They said, oh, that's bad. We'll pray for you, Pastor. We'll pray for you. And that third guy just kept throwing his line out and reeling it in, throwing it out and reeling it in. They waited and waited and waited. Finally, the first pastor said, hey, what's your problem? We're confessing our sins to each other. We're going to commit to pray for one another. What's your, what's your deal? He never said a word. The second pastor got a little bit upset with him and said, man, said, I'm here to tell you right now, this boat ain't going to the shore until you confess your sin. We need to know. We're not, we're not getting off this water until you do. To which the man rolled his, reeled his line in. He turned up, looked at him and says, I'm ashamed to say it. I got a problem with gossip. And I can't wait to get on shore. First <laughs> Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse number 1. We're going to read all the way through verse number 11. The title of the message this uh, uh, morning is Spiritual Gifts Basics. The basics in regarding spiritual gift. If you're able to stand, would you please stand as we honor the reading of God's Word. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse number 1. Now, he says, Concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you to be ignorant. Ye know that ye were Gentiles carried away unto these dumb idols, even as ye were led. Uh, wherefore, I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man uh, can say that Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Ghost. Now, there are diverse gifts but the same Spirit. There are different administrations but the same Lord. There are, a, there are diversities of operations but the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit uh, is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given the spirit of the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, to another the gifts of healing uh, by the same spirit, to another working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, uh, to another, diverse kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one in the same, 
self-same spirit, uh, dividing every man severely as he will. You may be seated uh, this morning. Father, the best that I know how, I yield myself to you only to preach your word this morning. I pray you'd anoint these lips of clay. I pray you'd encourage the saints of God. I pray you'd challenge everyone that's in here. And God, I pray that you'd get all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise for everything that's done. We love you, and we thank you, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Spiritual gifts are very controversial in American Christianity. As a matter of fact, uh, there's a lot of people, and a lot of people in our church as well, that have very strong viewpoints, and there, there's a lot of viewpoints that Christians hold concerning spiritual gift gifts. It's important to understand that this controversy is nothing new. Uh, there was a severe controversy in the first century, as well as the 21st century. In fact, it was so important, Paul took three chapters to deal with the topic of spiritual gifts. It will take me six weeks to go through this. This sermon is an introductory sermon on this area of spiritual gifts and the basics that Paul is going to be talking about here in this particular text. It's imperative to note four key points if you're going to understand this text. These key points go without the whole book. It deals with the whole book, these, these key points. You have heard these key points before, but it's important that we're reminded of these key points so that we don't cause this text to be a pretext. Does everybody understand what I mean by pretext? When you take the Word of God and you take a verse out of its context and you try to interpret that verse, what you've done is you've made that verse a pretext. And when you do, you can make that verse say whatever you want to do or whatever you want it to say. So we take the verse and we keep it in its context. This is called the literal form of interpretation. You keep it in its context. You understand the history, the culture, everything that's surrounding that passage of Scripture. And then you deduct from that, if you would, as the Word of God speaks truth into you, into us, collectively as a church body, for the unification and the strengthening and the building up of the church. The Word of God never tears the church down. It always builds the church up. So we're, that, that's our approach here today. So here are the key, the key points, four key points in understanding this text in particular. Point number one, every New Testament epistle is an occasional document. Every New Testament epistle is an occasional document. Is that up there? It's not on my screen back there, guys. This is so vitally important. It's important to understand that every New Testament letter is an occasional document. Now, what I mean by that, and you can see this, we're closer, uh, I think... Uh, uh, to, uh, uh, to 2 Corinthians. So if you'll turn over just a few pages and go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, in your Bibles, you should see in there it says the second epistle of Paul, the apostle to the Corinthians. You see that there? Uh, if your Bible doesn't say that, that's, that's all right. But this is an epistle. The word epistle means letter. So what I'm saying here today by way of introduction is every New Testament letter is an occasional document. So what was the occasion 1 Corinthians was written in? The occasion that 1 Corinthians was written in we see in Scripture is twofold. The first one we see is that Chloe, Chloe's household, went to Paul and had some questions they wanted to answered. We see the answer to those questions in the first six chapters of 1 Corinthians. We dealt with that. Uh, remember, those questions that, that uh, Chloe asked were in regards to Christianity in general. 
that's found in chapter 1. Uh, in chapter 1 also, they had a question about unity. If the church is supposed to be united, then why is there so many divisions in the church? Question number three, servanthood. What does it mean to be a true servant of Jesus Christ? Chloe's household wanted to know in chapter 5 a question about morality. What's going on in the area of morality? And that lasted all the way through chapter 6. So the first six chapters deal with those questions that Paul answered from Chloe's household. Then in chapter number 7, in chapter 7, all the way to the end of the book, chapter 16, Paul is going to answer questions that were given to him by a delegation of the church members from, from Corinth. There were some church members, they gathered around, they had some questions for Paul, and they came to him and they started asking him those questions. We dealt with many of those questions. For example, marriage, they asked the question about that. We dealt with that in chapter 7. Christian liberty, one of the largest sections that Paul deals with in regards to Christian liberty. You remember that series of messages. Uh, gender roles, uh, what about wearing hats or whatever? Thanks be unto God, ladies. You don't have to wear your hats if you don't want to. God gave you hair. But if you want to wear a hat, you can. It doesn't matter. I mean, it's just we went through all that. It was a fun time. I enjoyed that, that sermon. Uh, and then the Lord's Supper, he had questions about that. We just dealt with that. We dealt with uh, the questions the church had about the Lord's Supper. They wanted to know, why are these people dying? They're sick and dying. Well, they were partaking of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. And so we, we dealt with that. Now, now here we come. We come to this uh, new place, this new place. But the point that I'm making here with this point is every New Testament epistle is an occasional document. So that's the occasion which this document was written. Here's number two. Number two, this is a corrective passage. This is a corrective passage. Paul, in answering these questions, he is correcting the things that the Corinthians were doing wrong. That was causing disunity. Again, the body of Jesus Christ, we come together for unification to be united so that we can see others come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And we exercise the gifts that God's given us in the church body. So Paul is correcting them. Notice what he says in chapter 1 of verse 12. He says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren... I would not have you ignorant. If you mark in your Bibles, and I encourage everybody in our congregation to do so, I would underline that word ignorance. Why? Because Paul is saying, I'm correcting you on something that you're being an egghead about. You, you need to get some things straight. Ain't nothing like an egg-headed church member. Can I get a witness right there? He just said, look, we've got to get some things straight here is what he's saying. So this is a corrective passage. Now, we also know this in the history of Corinth. We know that the culture was having a greater impact on the church than the church was having on the culture. So Paul has to come alongside and correct this. Number three, here's the third key point. This is the largest passage in the Bible on spiritual gifts. Again, Paul takes three chapters... He's going to deal, just let me whet your appetite if I could, he's going to deal specifically, specifically with tongues in chapter 14. But I find it so neat that this morning he's setting things up to communicate the greatest gift of all. Now listen to me, here's, my, here's a question I have for you, church. After salvation, what is the greatest gift we possess? Love. Correct. Paul spends a whole chapter on it, chapter 13. So he introduces it this morning, and uh, we'll deal with that uh, more next week. And then in chapter 13, he deals with the greatest gift of all, which is love. And then he comes back and he corrects them in regards to this issue of their abuse 
on the, the use of tongues and the interpretation thereof. Here's number four. Number four. Spiritual gifts were very divisive at the church in Corinth. They were very divisive. And they can be very divisive today. Okay? So we need to be able to find unity and fellowship amongst the brothers and sisters in Christ here. So I want you to notice with me how Paul encourages this church to be more committed to Jesus Christ by teaching them about the basics of spiritual gifts. All right, here's how he does it. He gives them three things. Number one, the first thing he gives them is he gives them counterfeit gifts. He points out counterfeit gifts. We see that in verse 2 and 3. Let's look at it together and let's read it. He says, Ye know that ye were Gentiles carried away into these dumb idols even as ye were led. Wherefore I gave you under, un, I, I give you to understand that no man speaks by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus a curse. And that no man can say that Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Ghost. Now, when you first read that, you go, okay, Paul, verse number one make perfect sense. Verse two and three, uh -uh. what in the world is going on here? I don't understand what you're saying because you say you're going to talk about spiritual gifts and then you go into this tangent about dumb idols and leading away and want everybody to understand Jesus is not cursed. What in the world is going on here? Again, you have to understand the context. Remember, uh, remember the culture of Corinth. We said it was the present day Las Vegas. Man, there are idols everywhere. And because there's idols everywhere, we know that there's particular things that are going on. And so at first glance, these two verses seem to be out of place. But when you look closely at the culture of Corinth, by doing so, you'll see that what Paul is doing is pointing out two very important things. Number one, the first thing he's pointing out is the problem. The problem. Where's the problem, Pastor? Look at what the Bible says in verse 2. He says, You know that you were Gentiles carried away under these dumb idols even as you were led. There's the problem. The dumb idols even as you were led. I'd underline that. That's the problem. So what is he referring to, Pastor? Well, if you were in the first century church and you were in first century Corinth, you'd know exactly what Paul was talking about. Because if you were to walk out of the church at Corinth there, remember it was a home church, a house church, if you were to walk out onto the streets of Corinth, you would see the temple of Aphrodite sitting up there on the hill. You would see the temple prostitutes that were all around. You would notice the temple of, a, of Asclepius. You would see that. It would be right there. And you would see the number of people that were coming into the temple of Asclepius to get healed. The temple of Asclepius was one by which you could enter into and you could buy a terracotta part of the body that you needed healed. It's amazing. It really was a <clears throat> fantastic uh, racket in order to, to fund the temple. So if you had a bum leg, what you'd do, uh, you'd go in there and you'd buy a terracotta leg and you'd put it on the altar and you'd say, uh, Asclepius, here's the part of my body that's hurt. Uh, if you'd see fit, would you please heal it? And you would give that as a sacrifice. And then they would take that terracotta leg and say, okay, thanks. And then they'd go put it back on the shelf for the next guy. And they'd sell that thing over and over and over and over again. Now remember, Paul didn't want the church of Jesus Christ to look anything like that. He didn't want to look anything like that. But it was prevalent all around. And one thing that was in common here in the church at Corinth is that those gods were all dead. Now behind those gods was a demonic force. But what's fascinating about this is when he's referring here to dumb idols, he's not talking about stupid things. He's talking about idols that had no voice. They had to be given a voice by an individual, by the temple prophet or prophetess. Now, if you were to go north of Corinth and you were just to go straight north, you would end up in a city called Delphi. Now, Delphi was a very important city because in Delphi there was the temple Apollo. Now, follow me on this. 
The temple of Apollo was again another temple that influenced all the temples that were around them. It even influenced the church at Corinth. What happened at the temple of Delphi, they had a prophetess there, a female prophet. Her name was the Oracle. I know it sounds like something out of the matrix, but it's true. You can look it up. The Oracle of Delphi was the prophetess in the temple. She was a fascinating character. She was a very charismatic speaker who would, very, would preach with intense emotional flair. She would fall down on the floor and begin to jerk in all different kinds of ways. She was known to speak in unknown languages only she could interpret. Her prophecies were laced with frenzy and hypnotic chants. She was a sight to behold. And everybody wanted to go to Delphi to see the oracle. As a matter of fact, if you were coming down to Corinth, you had to pass through Delphi. Or if you were going north past Delphi, up into that region to do business, you had to once again go through Delphi. Delphi, just like Corinth, was a key city. And so uh, uh, the temple of Apollo at Delphi and the oracle of Delphi had a great influence on Corinth. People would come down into Corinth, and when they got to Corinth, they would go into worship services, whether it be in the temple of Aphrodite, or the temple of Asclepius, or the church of Jesus Christ, and they would begin to mimic and do the same thing they were doing at the temple of Apollo. And Paul says, wait a minute. He says in verse number 2, he says, when you were Gentiles, he says, when you were lost... He says, you were carried away with these idols that didn't have a voice, even as ye were led. He says, you don't need to be going back to that. That is craziness. That is insane. So that's the problem Paul's dealing with in verse number 2. Now, the oracle of Delphi found it very fit to stand up there and say Jesus was not the Messiah. In her fits of foaming rage and flaying around like a dead fish or like a fish that was dying, she would confess that Jesus was not the Messiah. We find the solution to the problem in chapter, in chapter 12, verse 3. Paul says not only was the problem the oracle of Delphi and these counterfeit gifts that she says that she has, speaking in tongues, flailing around on the ground, giving prophecies that only she can interpret, uh, says that are, those are counterfeit gifts. And he says the solution to this to find out whether or not they're counterfeit uh, gifts is twofold. He says, the first thing you've got to do is you've got to understand the truth. Look at verse 3. He says in verse 3, Wherefore, because of this, he says, I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed. He says, you've got to know the truth. He says, no born-again child of God is going to stand up there, flay around on stage, and say Jesus is not the Messiah. He goes, that's totally against God's character. That's against the Lord Jesus' nature. It's against His work. It's against His holiness. It's against His glory. It's against everything that Jesus is. So you can recognize first and foremost, if somebody comes into the church house and they start flaying away and it's more self-edifying than it is God-glorifying, you can mark it down. It is not of God. That's what he says there. That's what he's saying. Number two. He says, here's the second way that you know uh, an individual is truly born again or saved. He says, you've got to question the teller. Question the teller. Look at what he says in verse 3. I'm just showing you what the text says again. Notice the word and in verse 3. And that no man can say that Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Ghost. 
says, you, you want to know whether or not they're born again? Ask them who Jesus is. And by the power of the Holy Ghost, they're going to say, He's Lord. That's what, that's what he's saying there. You ask them, what about Jesus? Now, this is vastly different in the 21st century than it is in the 1st century. Follow me on this. Come on, we've got to go down history lane a little bit. In history, in the 1st century... They were first century, first generation Christians. Everybody agree with that? Amen? First generation Christians. So when you ask somebody, who is Jesus? And they said, Jesus is Lord. What that meant was, they knew Jesus, and Jesus knew them. That's what it meant. In the 21st century, Lee, the 21st century today, you ask people, do they know who Jesus is? They'll say, well, Jesus, Jesus is the Lord. They'll say the same thing. It's different today because we have what's called generational Christians. Generational Christians, Don. Which means they know who Jesus is, but Jesus don't know who they are. Let me give you an example. Let me show you what I mean. We did this in the last service. It worked very well. How many of you in this service was saved as a church member? You were a church member, and then you got saved. Lift it up real high. I want you to look around this room. great majority of you were in church. You know what you were saying? You were saying, I knew Jesus, but Jesus didn't know me. And unfortunately, that's the way it is in the 21st century. So you've got to be more specific when you ask that question. It's got to be more than just, who is Jesus to you? If Jesus truly is your Lord, there'll be a transformation in your life. You won't be the same person you were. You'll be transformed. There will be a difference in you, And so this is what he's saying here. Paul's saying, if you want the solution to counterfeit gifts, then you ask them who Jesus is and what you'll see is a changed life. The Spirit of God will say that Jesus is Lord, but there'll be an accompaniment of a changed life in the 21st century. That's the way we see that today. So there's counterfeit gifts, verses 1 through 3. Number 2. The second thing I want you to see Paul does is he gives contrasted gifts. Contrasted gifts. In verses 4 through 7, he takes the gifts and he contrasts them. And in doing so, these verses, the Apostle Paul explains that the Spirit of God has contrasted the gifts of the Spirit in a variety of ways. And he points out three in particular. Number one, the first one is, there is a variety of gifts. Look at what the Bible says in verse 4. The Bible says, now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. The word diversities here in this passage of Scripture means distribution. What Paul is saying is that the Spirit of God distributes His gifts in many forms, by many varieties, to His children. Everybody in this room that's a born-again child of God, you lifted your hand just a few minutes ago, God has given you a gift. You have at least one gift. Thanks be unto God. And let's pray it's not that lady that came up and said, I got one gift. She told the preacher. The preacher was there. and She came up to the preacher. She said, Preacher, I heard that message on gifts, and I'm coming. I've got one gift, and I want to use it. And the preacher said, Well, ma'am, said, well, that's good. What, what is your, what's your gift? She says, I've got the gift of criticism. Preacher said, that's good, that's biblical. He says, and I, I, I think you need to do what the Bible says to do if you got one gift. You need to go out and bury it. <laughs> so there's a variety of gifts. Did you know the Word of God never gives a complete list of all the gifts? 
You, you find the gifts over in the book of 1 Corinthians. You find them over in Romans chapter 12. Uh, you find a little bit in 1 Peter chapter 4. So you, you see gifts here and there, but there's never an exclusive list. And I think there's a reason why. So why is that, preacher? The reason why is because God does not want us calling our attention to the gift, but the gift giver. We are to make sure we're giving our attention to Him. We use our gifts. We use our gifts for His glory. We don't worship our gifts. So He gives, uh, the, in the New Testament, there are 18 gifts. 18 gifts. And uh, you can search those out. Again, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, 1 Peter chapter 4. We note this. Let me just say this about the gifts. Because I could run through them and some of you would try to take them down and I'd frustrate you because... I would, you wouldn't get them all down. But we've got six weeks here, so you hang with me. There are four gifts in particular that we really struggle with in the 21st century because they're miraculous gifts. They're spectacular gifts. Miraculous gifts. The interpretation of tongues, speaking in tongues, healing, and miracles. Those four really, really have a tendency to bother us today. They have a tendency to bother us. And we struggle with understanding those. But I want you to understand what Paul is saying here in chapter 12, verse 4, is he says there's a variety of gifts. There's a variety of gifts, and they're not exclusive. So I don't think the Scripture is, is giving us insight into this to make us wonder, are there any gifts today that weren't in the first century? I would say the answer to that is yes. So how would you say that? Could you give us an illustration, Pastor, of a gift that would be exercised today, a variety of gifts that would be exercised today that was not exercised in the first century church? Yeah, they're sitting right back there in that booth. We, they didn't have electricity back in the first century. I can't explain. Listen, I cannot explain to you how I can talk, it go into this little microphone, run all the way behind my head, down my back, into this little box here, go over your heads, into that box there, go into a channel, and then go all over the world. I don't understand it, but I'm grateful to God they do. And they're exercising their giftedness in that respect. So I'm grateful for that, even though I don't understand it. But I think that's an illustration of a gift that's being used today that wasn't used in the first century. And are there others? Yes, I'm sure there are. But not only does Paul say there's a variety of gifts, number two, he says there's a variety of ministries to exercise those gifts. Look at what the Bible says in verse 5. We're just going verse by verse. Here's what the Bible says. And there are different administrations, but the same Lord. The word administration there means ministries. He says, when you look into the body of the church, you ought to see many ministries. You look in the body of Maysville Baptist Church, there are many ministries here. Preschool, children, youth, college, singles, men, women, hand up, benevolence, CR, faith. Uh, and the greatest one by which you hear your pastor call attention to more than any other ministry, Sunday school. If I were you and I wanted to exercise my gift, I would do it in Sunday school. That would be the very first place I would exercise my gift is in Sunday school. It's the most emphasized place, but we bring glory to God by having our giftedness and using our giftedness for His glory, honor, and praise. Number three, not only does Paul say that there's a variety of ministries, not only is there a variety of gifts, but there's also a variety of activities. There's a variety of activities, verse 6 and 7. Look at what this Bible says. And there are diversities of operations. The word operation there means activities. So it says there's, a, there's a, a, a diversity in the operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. He said God's given all the gifts that we have. We've been given by God. 
in verse 7. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. He's just simply saying, when you exercise your gift, you're benefiting the body of Christ. And in that benefit of the body of Christ, you're giving glory to God by you exercising your gift. My question is, did you exercise your gift today? Did you do what God has gifted you to do? For some of you, God's given you the gift of teaching. Are you teaching? Uh, For some of you, you've been a member of this church and you needed healing and and God's healed you, man. You've been healed, but you have yet to follow through on the gift that God's given you and start teaching. You need to do that. I I think we saw this activity, if you would, this energizing, if you will. I thought we saw it the greatest at the Wild Game Dinner. It's the most fresh illustration I have. At the Wild Game Dinner, we all came together and we all used our gift and giftedness for the glory of God. And in using our giftedness, four things happened. And these four things always happen when the church comes together and uses their giftedness for the glory of God. Whether it be vacation Bible school, wild game dinner, ladies night out, revival. I mean, any of these. Sunday school every week, week in and week out. When the church comes together and we lift up the name of Jesus by using our gifts, four things happen. Number one, the person with the gift receives a great blessing. Uh, our evangelist, our evangelist, uh, Bill Purvis, he got the greatest blessing. Oh, my stars, I sat beside him, and if he hit me one time, he hit me 50 times. Y'all doing it right, brother. This is encouragement to me. Y'all doing it right. Y'all doing it right. To God be the glory. Y'all doing it right. Oh, my word. It was beautiful. It was wonderful to see the church operating as a church. He received a great blessing. But not only did he receive a great blessing, others received a great blessing. If you're here and you worked at the Wild Game Dinner and received a great blessing, say amen. Man, it was great, great to receive that blessing of God. Number two, the church has the has power we would not otherwise have. Uh, people ask me all the time, man, that Wild Game Dinner, how in the world did you get all them people to do all that? I, I, I said, no, I, don't, I don't know. We just believe the Great Commission. I mean, we just believe that this is what we're called to do. We, we understand that we are stewards over this. I've been doing it for 13 years. And in doing it for 13 years, it becomes part of your DNA. And is it part of your DNA? It, it's something that you do because you love Jesus. And the very moment we do it because of ourselves is the moment we need to stop it. It always ought to be about lost people. It always ought to be about glorifying God and sharing the gospel. Some people say, well, y'all make a lot of money on that. Do you know we don't make a dime off of that thing? Every dime that comes in pays for what has gone on. It helps get the trips, some of the giveaways that we've taken care of. It, we, we retain $3,000 for seed money. That's it. So that we can start next year. And we're dependent upon God. We're dependent on a building. We're dependent upon on everything. We need God to do everything. We are exercising the gift of faith. We'll see that here in just a few moments. But God, we need you. And when God shows up and, we, and listen, he knows we need him. Great power emanates from the church. So the church had great power Thursday night. Number three, God's leader be, leaders become apparent. God's leaders become, you looked around, you saw, well, there's a senior pastor. Uh, There's the executive pastor. There's the evangelist for tonight. Uh, This individual is making sure that we get through the line right. This individual is making sure we're doing this, this, and that, and all this, and keeping things in line. Thanks be unto God. Leaders are apparent. Number four, we experience collectively joy, unity, love, and fellowship. Man, wasn't it a good time? Man, we had so much fun. It was great fun to be together. There's a variety of activities. 
when it comes to giftedness. And then number three, here's the third and final thing very quickly as I continue this introduction. Paul says there's counterfeit gifts. There's contrasted gifts. And by the way, watch this. Did you see this in, in this text when it comes to this, uh, these contrasted gifts? Did you notice this? Watch this. The gifts are given by the same Spirit. That's verse 4. Do you see that there? The ministries are assigned by the same Lord. That's verse 5. Do you see that there? And then watch this in verse 6. Uh, he says, the activities are energized by the same God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Trinity is involved in giftedness. That's what happens there. Okay, now here's number three. All right, I got to hurry. <laughs> Y'all were listening so, so good. I'm so proud of you. Counterfeit gifts, contrasted gifts. Number three, controversial gifts. Controversial gifts. Paul is going to talk about nine gifts, nine that was causing disunity in the church. Remember, this is a corrective passage. He's correcting them because they're not doing it right. They're doing it wrong. The world, the church looks more like the world than it looks like Jesus. It looks more like the temple worship than it does the house of God. And so Paul's goal here is not to define each gift, but to introduce each gift and say, here's the problem. Here's what's going on. Here's the challenge that you're having with this particular gift. Now, when they read these gifts, they would have understood a few things very, very clearly. I'll be able to hit every one of them. I'm going to combine the last two, the tongues and interpretation of tongues. I'm going to state a question, give an answer, and then we'll come back to that in chapter, when we get to chapter 14, and we'll deal explicitly with that gift. So number one, the first thing, notice with me, Paul says a controversial gift is the gift of wisdom. Verse 8, the gift of wisdom. In apostolic times, that is when the apostles walked the earth, the gift of wisdom was a pronouncing of revelation. Remember, the Word of God was not complete. They did not have the completed Word of God. And so we needed to know, they needed to know, what does the Lord say? What is thus saith the Lord? And so the apostles, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, would exercise the gift of wisdom in the apostolic age, and it would be a prophetic word from God. Now, in the New Testament, hang with me here, in the New Testament, it refers to the ability to understand God's will and apply it obediently in fleshing out God's truth. So how do you come up with that? Well, the Bible tells us in Peter, and Jude says the same thing, I'll refer back to them in just a minute, that we have a more sure word of prophecy. We have the canonized, completed Word of God. We can see exactly what God says as He moved in men of old and spoke through them the truth that we have laying in our hands. See, I'm not here to correct this. I'm here to let this correct me. And it's going to correct us. It's going to rain down truth upon us. There is no fresh rhema. There is no fresh revelation. We have the revelation of God. And in having the revelation of God, what does your word say, God? How, how do I line up with this? I like what Adrian Rogers said. Adrian Rogers says, if we would just understand that we need to live by the word of God instead of trying to experience something new, we'd grow in our faith a whole lot better. So we have the gift of wisdom, fleshing it out. So what does that look like today in today's congregation in the 21st century, especially here at Maysville? Well, let's take 1 uh, John. The theme of 1 John is love one another. Love one another. That's John all the way through. Love one another. That's what he wants. You to love each other. If you have the gift of wisdom, then you take that 
passage of Scripture or that section of Scripture and you understand what that means. And you flesh that truth out in your heart by exercising the wisdom of that by loving unlovable people. And you love them as the Spirit of God deems fit. And the wisdom that you communicate with them is that of God's love. That's one way. Number two, let me give you the second one. I've got to hurry. Verse 8. Not only do you have the gift of wisdom, but you also have the gift of knowledge. The gift of knowledge. The gift of knowledge is the capability of grasping the meaning of God's Word, which is a mystery to the natural mind. Man, people, lost people, they don't understand. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord until the scales fall from your eyes and you receive the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you're looking at me like a calf looking at a new gate. You're like, huh? Huh? The gift of knowledge... The gift of knowledge is the capability of grasping the meaning of God's Word, which is a mystery in the natural world. That's where the preacher comes in. The preacher says, Thus saith the Lord. And causes an opportunity in the hearer of the lost person to see what the Word of God says, that the scales fall from their eyes, and they trust Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and Lord. It's not just the pastor that has this gift. It's given to all people, all born-again believers. Some people get the gift of knowledge. And by the way, Jude chapter 3 says, a word of knowledge must be based on the Word of God. That's what Jude 3 says. Jude 3 says, it has been delivered, the Word of God has been delivered us once for all. Meaning the Word of knowledge that comes out of us will always, watch this, always line up with this. If it never lines up with this, it's not a word of knowledge. Number three, the gift of faith. Verse 9, the gift of faith. Now, faith is distinct here from saving faith. This is not talking about saving faith. It's not talking about daily faith. This faith is an intense ability to trust God in a difficult and demanding ways. Ways to which you, someone might look at you and go, what are you going to do? And you're just like, God's got this. And it's not that you're flipping about it. You just know God's got it. It's the ability to trust Him in the face of overwhelming obstacles and human impossibilities. I don't know how God's going to do this. We're living like this right now as Robertsons. We don't know how God's going to do this, but God's going to do it. We're not sure how, but we just have faith He's going to do it. And uh, we're, we're gonna be, it's going to be neat to watch him, watch him meet this need. It's going to be really, really cool. Romans chapter 4, verse 20 says this. It's called strong faith. That gives glory to God. The gift of faith. Number four. Watch this one now. Don't miss this one. Verse nine. The gifts of healing. And notice healing is in the plural. The gifts of healings. Remember Paul said there was a variety. A variety of categories in which this gift is given. There's a variety of gifts. We serve a God. Listen to me. That still heals. I believe in the healing power of God. This gift was, was used during the apostolic age to authenticate that what they were speaking was the Word of God. To prove that, you, prove that you're of God. All right? You see that blind man over there? Be healed. And the blind man could see. He could see. It was a tremendous uh, healing. Here's what I find fascinating about the healings found in the Bible. Watch this. Number one, they were instantaneous. Number two, they were not progressive. And number three, uh, they uh, were permanent. They were permanent. They didn't just last for a little while and disappear. Um, listen to me very carefully. I'm not judging. I'm, not being, I'm just being a pastor. I'm trying to preach the Word of God, give you what the Word of God says. I'm a little leery. I'm a little leery of healing services 
that when you come to them and someone lays their hands on you and they pray for you and they say that your healing will come in three months or three weeks or your healing did not last because of your lack of faith. I'm just, I'm leery of that. Why? Well, the reason why is because I see, according to James chapter 5, there is, there is a specific way that we handle sickness in praying for those that are sick. James chapter 5, verse number 14 and 15. Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. And then, yeah, that's exactly right. You got it. It's the responsibility of the one that's sick to call the pastor. Pastor, can the church pray for me? Yeah, well, you're calling for the church to pray. So we come down and we anoint that person with oil and we pray over that person knowing that it's God that does the healing. It doesn't come at the work of my hands. It doesn't come at the work of the elders' hands or the deacons. It comes at the work of the hand of God. Sometimes that healing, sometimes the healing comes through death. Hey, we just had, a, we just had the gift of healings. God healed in our church this week. He did. So, how? Uh, the Moore family, Kyle Moore, any the Moore family here? They're, they're watching kids today. Kyle Moore, Colorado, this week with his kids skiing. They were skiing, having a great family time. Uh, he had a, a pulmonary, what do you call it? Yeah, pulmonary edema, blood clot in his, in his lungs. You listen to this. His oxygen level was 8%. 8%. Kyle Moore, one of our deacons. Or excuse me, he went, he's not one of our deacons. He's one of our Sunday school teachers. One of our Sunday school teachers was dying. If it's 8%, you did. God, in a miraculous way. The doctor said, man, he ought to be dead. We ain't never seen anybody this low. God, in a miraculous way, raised him up. He's alive today. He is being healed today. And he's on his way home today. And thanks be unto God, we still serve a God that heals. It's not whether or not God heals or not. We know God heals. What we're asking is this. Here's, here's what we struggle with as, as Christians. Does God do that same thing he did when he walked the earth? Does somebody have that gift where they lay their hands on somebody and they're healed immediately? It's not progressive and it doesn't ever go away. Number five. The gift of miracles. The gift of miracles. Verse, it's in verse 10. You see it there, the gift of miracles. A miracle is a supernatural intrusion into the natural world and its natural laws explainable only by divine intervention. Listen, here's your pastor preaching here. I'm, ta- I'm telling you, I've seen God do miracles. I've seen it. In fact, God did a miracle this weekend. So are you kidding me? No, I can't believe it either. I can't believe it either. I, I really, I'm, I'm shocked. Jeb Zerwonka's daughter went missing last week. Elena, she went missing. It doesn't matter about the circumstances by which she went missing, but they couldn't find her Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. She's gone. I called Jeff and talked to him on the phone. He said, Pastor, he said, my daughter's gone. I just pray she's alive. Will you please pray for her? And I did. I prayed and I asked God. I said, God, in the name of Jesus... Would you raise up Elena to the top where we, can un- we cannot mistake in that it's her and we see her right where she is. Give us eyes to see Elena. Where is she? 
I got this text on Saturday morning at 3.23 p.m. Saturday. Pastor, my daughter Elena is found alive and well in the car on Highway 124 in Brazelton. God has brought her back to the top as you prayed. Thank you so very much. Hallelujah. God still works miracles. Okay, where am I at? Number six, the gift of prophecy. The gift of prophecy, verse 10. Uh, notice it if you, if you would there in the text. Again, I'm running out of time. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. This is a vital, this is a very, very important word. The word prophecy here in the Greek, as well as in the Hebrew, they have real close association, real close ties. It always means to speak forth. To speak forth, to proclaim. It's a word that assumes the speaker is before an audience. It carries the idea to speak publicly. Uh, I think a lot of times we, we get carried away from the perspective that uh, the Old Testament prophets foretold the future. There were some instances where the future was foretold. But for the most part, those prophets were foretelling what God had already prophesied. God prophesied it all the way. Look, you know, the Messiah was prophesied by God himself in Genesis 3.15. And that's what the whole word of God is about. And so these uh, prophets came along just like prophets in the New Testament and proclaimed, they foretell the word of God. Thus saith the Lord is what they say. They expound and exhort and proclaim a revelation that's already been given by God. I speak no new revelation to you today. I speak no new salvation to you today. The salvation that I preach to you is the same salvation they preached in the first century. You must come to Jesus by the way of the cross. That's the only way for you to be saved. So it is a spirit-empowered, spirit-given ability to proclaim the Word of God effectively by forthtelling the Word of God and not predicting the future. That's the gift of prophecy, and that's distributed amongst the church. Number seven, the gift of discernment. Verse 10, the gift of discernment. Discerning spirits. Discerning spirits. The basic meaning of discernment is to uh, do uh, is has to do with separating out for examination and judging things to determine whether or not they're genuine or false. Is it genuine or false? Let me give you an illustration. I was in the home. I was visiting with somebody this week, and as I was in their home, uh, this sweet, sweet, precious. She may be in this service. Sweet, sweet, precious lady. Sweet saint of God said, "I discerned from the service I sat in." That the word of God is magnified more than anything in your ministry. I said, well, that's true. I mean, listen, I, I, I've said this a million times. I, I'm not here to give you something new. I'm here to say here, this is what the Lord says. Thus saith the Lord. That discernment is right on the money. It's accurate. The Bible says our spirit bears witness with other believers. You ever got on the elevator with somebody and you just knew somebody was a Christian? I mean, it was just this, your spirit bore witness with them and you knew, and you knew it. And as a matter of fact, I think every wife in the United States of America has a spirit of discernment. If you don't, don't believe it, ask their husbands. My wife's over there. I'm not, look, I'm not cutting my eyes over at her. I'm looking at Abe. <clears throat> and then number eight and nine. Here, I'm out of time. I'm out of time. But give me, give me two minutes here. Three at the most, if you don't mind. 
The gift of tongues and the interpretation of tongues. Verse 10. This is a gift that's been given to the church at Corinth. Paul says, remember, he's correcting them on this because of its misuse. He says, it is a gift that's been given. He says, but there's a use and a misuse there, thereof in it. Uh, this is the most controversial spiritual gift of Paul's day and our day, actually, to be honest with you. Now, let me go on record and say this. I hadn't said this in the last two services, but I, I, I probably should have. But I got six weeks, so you'll hear me say this again, I'm sure. Uh, what you do in your prayer closet between you and God when the door's closed and it's only the two of you, that's between y'all. That's between you. I mean, you and the Lord. You close, your, you close your closet door and you're talking to the Lord Jesus. That's between the two of you, okay? But in this particular instance, in this particular passage of Scripture, he's going to deal with it explicitly in chapter 14. Here's the question that's asked of me as a pastor. Pastor, do you believe in tongues? I want to answer that question this morning with an illustration. One of my favorite preachers of all times, a man by the name of Manly Beasley. How many of you know Manly Beasley? Anybody in here else know Manly Beasley? Okay, not many people. Man of God. I'm talking about somebody that could preach the paint off the walls. He loved God with all of his heart. Manly Beasley took a mission trip to India to preach a crusade. Manly Beasley stood up to preach, and his interpreter got up with him. Beasley said that he had a tremendous pressure on his heart to tell his interpreter to sit down. So he turned to his interpreter, he said, I need you to sit down. And the interpreter looked at him like a calf looking at a new gate. He didn't understand that. And so, but he sat down, he did what Beasley said. Manly Beasley preached a simple salvation message that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died on the cross, and rose again the third day. And if you would like to receive forgiveness of your sins, he died in your place. You can receive that today by coming forward and trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior. He did every bit of that in English. When he gave the invitations, the, the invitation, the place emptied. Every seat in the house began to empty. And people came and they gathered at the front of Manly Beasley. Manly turned to his interpreter and said, Would you come here just a minute? And the interpreter came and he said, Would you please ask them why they're coming forward? And so he knelt down and he asked those individuals. He said, Sir, why are you coming forward? And the man turned and looked at the interpreter and said, we heard in our own native language that Jesus was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, went to Calvary's cross, uh, rose again the third day, and if we want eternal life, Jesus died in our place, and for us to come forward and we could receive Christ as Savior. He turned and said, that's exactly what you preached, Beasley. If that's tongues, I believe it. Now, here's something I found interesting. In between services, David stopped me and said, Shane, you're not going to believe this. He said, but there's a Southern Baptist evangelist by the name of Glenn Shepherd. And several years ago, he experienced the exact same thing. Amen. Stood up and preached in his language. People heard in their language, came forward and gave their heart to Jesus Christ. Dear friends, you can call that what you will. I'm telling you what, if that's tongues, I believe it. They heard in their own language. He spoke in English or his native tongues. They heard in their native tongue. An interpreter interpreted back what he said, told the man of God who did not speak that language what it said. You see tongues and the interpretations of tongues. Signed, sealed, and delivered. It was a gift that God given, and it was exercised in this 20th century. But let me say this. The greatest gift of all, the greatest is none of these. The greatest gift of all 
is salvation. The greatest gift outside of salvation is love. The greatest gift of all is salvation. And so, dear friend, more than anything, we should not get hung up on these gifts if we, ain't, if we have not first received the greatest gift. And once we receive the greatest gift, we won't have a problem with the rest of the gifts. Because we'll know the Word of God, when interpreted from a literal perspective, will speak truth into our lives. Will every time, every time, every time. So here's my question. Do you know Jesus that way? Do you know as him Savior and Lord? Who do you say Jesus is? Let me, let me back up and ask you this way and I'll pray. You may know Jesus, but does Jesus know you? Let's bow for prayer. That's the question we're wrestling with right now. Does Jesus know me? Does Jesus know me? Does he? Does he know you, sir? Does he know you, ma'am? Does Jesus know you? If you're here this morning, you'd say, Pastor, I know Jesus, but Jesus does not know me. I've got good news for you, friend. Listen to me, please. Today's the day of salvation. Today's the day where a word of wisdom has come to you. A word of knowledge has come to you. A gift that has been exercised that you might understand you don't have to die in your sin. You can be saved today. Why don't you exercise what the Bible says? And Would you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart? So how do I do that, preacher? Can you help me? I'll be glad to help you. From your heart to God's heart, would you say something like this to the Lord? Say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. This morning, I repent of my sins. And I trust you as my Savior. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name. Now, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, the Bible says that if you've confessed with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believed in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be saved, and you will not be ashamed of your salvation. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to come get you. I'm not going to drag, pull you out. I'm not going to do any of that. I want to thank God that He's moved in your life.